This is Preternaturally Inclined, a podcast relating to the dark and esoteric aspects of the planet. Let this podcast be your guide into the realm of endless possibilities, mysteries unknown, and the occasional commentary on the extremely convoluted game of hide-and-seek that we call life. Bear with me, myself, and I, and let's dive deep into the abyss. Let's swim into the chasm. Let's plunge into the void of unexplained phenomena and do our best to wrench truth from the depths of uncertainty. Today's episode is the first of many to come that will relate to the phenomenon of consciousness, perception, reality, simulation, and the battle between chaotic entropy and unstoppable innovation. But we will be focusing on the pineal gland and its production of a chemical known as DMT. The first time I ever heard of DMT, the extremely powerful substance known to science as dimethyltryptamine, was in high school when a classmate of mine commented on the idea that When you are born, you're tripping balls on DMT. This, she affirmed, was due to the fact that when the human mind awakens to consciousness, the chemical DMT is released from the pineal gland. This induces hallucination, and this is why babies cry at birth. This DMT dump that she described is fairly accurate in the sense that many researchers and professionals in the field of brain research have discovered that this event might occur. But what about death, you may ask? I'm going to read an article from ScienceExplorer.com with my best Terrence McKenna impression. Near-death experiences have their correlation here as well. In seeking to solve the mystery of the near-death experience, researchers have put forward... Ah, fuck all that shit. Fuck fuck all that. Yeah. Researchers have put forward in a number of theories regarding possible causes, which range from Carl Sagan's rather weak in parentheses, reliving the birth experience hypothesis through a lack of oxygen, psychological disassociation, and neurochemical theories. In that latter area, two chemicals in particular have been implicated, the psychedelics ketamine and dimethyltryptamine, or DMT. In a seminal book, DMT, the Spirit Molecule, subtitled A Doctor's Revolutionary Research into the Biology of Near-Death and Mystical Experiences, Dr. Rick Strassman suggested that after death, decomposing pineal tissue might empty DMT directly into the spinal fluid, allowing it to reach the brain's sensory and emotional centers and causing residual awareness. The cause of this flood of DMT upon our dying-braced mind, Strassman wrote, quote, is a pulling back of the veils normally hiding what Tibetan Buddhists call the bardo, or intermediary states in between this life and the next. Michael Persinger and Dr. Hill have also argued that the mystical experiences of all types, including NDEs, might be caused by circumstances that trigger the release of DMT from the pineal gland, and near-death experience researcher Pim von Von Lummel has written about the similarities between DMT trips and the NDE. The Bardo state is fascinating, and I'll briefly, t- briefly touch on the significance of the transcendental experience from the Wikipedia page. A bardo is considered in some schools of Buddhism an intermediate transitional or liminal state between death and rebirth. It's a concept which arose soon after the Buddha's passing, with a number of earlier Buddhist groups accepting the existence of such an intermediate state, while in other schools rejected it. In Tibetan Buddhism, Bardo is the central theme of the Bardo Thodol, literally, liberation through hearing during the intermediate state, the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Used loosely, Bardo is the state of existence intermediate between two lives on earth. 
According to Tibetan tradition, and after death and before one's next birth, when one's consciousness is not connected with a physical body, one experiences a variety of phenomena. These usually follow a particular sequence of degeneration from, just after death, the clearest experiences of reality of which one is spiritually capable, and then proceeding to terrifying hallucinations that arise from the impulses of one's previous unskillful actions. For the prepared and appropriately trained individuals, the bardo offers a state of great opportunity for liberation, since transcendental insight may arise with the direct experience of reality. For others, it may become a place of danger, as the karmically created hallucinations can impel one into a less desirable rebirth. This epiphanous reaction, in which hallucinations are induced by some unknown thing, it's integral to the actions of the mind, but today's episode is going to focus on paranormal events, their connection to the pineal gland, and its production of DMT. How... Small amounts of DMT may leak at profound epiphanous moments. Now let's begin with what we know about the pineal gland. The pineal gland is a pea-sized, conical, pine-shaped, from which it derives its name, mass of tissue behind the third ventricle of the brain, secreting a hormone-like substance in some mammals. Its function isn't fully understood. Researchers do know that it produces and regulates some hormones, including melatonin. Melatonin is best known for the role it plays in regulating sleep patterns. Sleep patterns, circadian rhythms, that kind of a thing. The pineal gland also plays a role in the regulation of female hormone levels, and it may affect fertility and the menstrual cycle. That's due in part to the melatonin produced and excreted by the pineal gland. A 2016 study suggests that melatonin also may protect against cardiovascular issues such as arterial cirrhosis and hypertension. However, more research needs to be done into the potential functions of melatonin. More research is definitely a phrase you hear a lot when you're studying this kind of a thing. There's a lot of more research needed here. More research needed there. It's one of those scenarios in which a lot of it's not quite known. A lot of the research hasn't really got to the point where it's fully known. But I will have, I will quote an article from Gaia.com and I'll include the link about the third eye being known by the ancient civilizations. The third eye was known as the seat of the soul. And I quote, the significance of the pineal gland has been the subject of investigation for centuries, with its first documentation tracing back to a Greek doctor and philosopher known as Galen. Or Galen, I'm not sure. Galen's colleagues believed that the pineal regulated a flow of psychic pneuma, or an ethereal substance referred to as the first instrument of the soul. But Galen refuted this, instead thinking that the pineal as simply a, a gland that regulated blood flow. A resurgence of supernatural characteristics associated with the pineal returned when René Descartes turned in, took interest in it. He asserted that the principal seat that it was the principal seat of the soul and believed it to be the source of all thought. Descartes was essentially credited with a reflex theory or the involuntary system of actions carried out in the body's function. He thought of this in the sense that the mind could be separate from the body, with the ability to take over the animal instincts making its entrance through the pineal gland. Descartes believed that the pineal was unique because it did not have a matching pair like most sensory organs. 
And then they have a quote here under his little photograph. It's, it must necessarily be the case that the impressions which enter by the two eyes or by the two ears and so on unite with each other in some part of the body before being considered by the soul. Now, it is impossible to find any such place in the whole head except this gland. Moreover, it is situated in the most suitable possible place for this purpose in the middle of all the concavities. End quote, Rene Descartes. And then it goes on talks about Hinduism's third eye. Shiva and other deities were often depicted with a literal third eye on their forehead. This eye represents an awakening or enlightenment as the ability to see into higher realms of existence and consciousness. Many interpret this third eye as the pineal gland. Shiva's dreaded hair, wraps in snakes, looks strikingly similar to a pine cone, the namesake of the gland itself. Snakes in Hinduism are thought to be auspicious, most notably seen in imagery surrounding kundalini yoga. The body's chakras are often depicted in kundalini by a winged staff encircled by two snakes, or a caduceus, as it is known in Greek mythology. The snakes meet at the Ajna Chakra, where the pineal and pituitary glands are located. This chakra is known as the source of consciousness, with Ajna, or Ajna, I'm not sure, translating to command or guidance. And it talks about how ancient Egypt had a concept of the third eye, and most people are familiar with the Eye of Ra and the Eye of Horus from a ancient icon, ancient Egyptian iconography. Aside from the eye's striking resemblance to a lateral view of the pineal gland within the brain, these depictions in Egyptian hieroglyphs is always singular. In addition to its lack of a counterpart, it was often drawn in the center of foreheads on sarcophagi. Another reference to the location of the pineal, mirroring Hindu mythology, is that of the snake emerging from the center of the forehead, also seen on Pharaoh's sarcophagi. Egyptians regarded the snake auspiciously as well, associating it with wisdom. It's got a little picture of the pineal gland and uh, the eye of Horus put next to each other. You can see so many times. And it goes among pine cone imagery. Many portrayals of Sumerian gods depict a pine cone extended in one hand. These gods are believed to be a representation of the Anunnaki, or an ancient extraterrestrial visitor race, and their ability to access their pineal gland for its consciousness-expanding abilities. Pine, cone can be found, pine cones can be found in ancient Greek mythology on the staff of Dionysus, or his Roman iteration, Bacchus. A pine cone staff with snakes wrapped around it is also carried by Osiris in Egyptian lore. Cambodian temples in Angkor Wat bear a striking resemblance to pine cones, and there is even a massive pine cone statue at the Vatican, originally situated next to the temple for the Egyptian god Isis in ancient Rome. And then it finishes with, These ancient ancestors clearly had a healthy awareness of our pineal gland and the mysticism surrounding its purpose and connection to a higher level of consciousness. Its pine cone shape adds to the mysterious symbolism seen across cultures. It comes as no surprise that the pine cone also formed in a sacred geometric pattern from Fibonacci's golden ratio. And then it asks, What did our ancestors know about the pineal gland that we don't? It mentions Galen, or Galen, an alias Galenus, or Claudius Galenus. He was born in September 121 AD. He's anglicized as Galen and better known as Galen of Pergamon. 
He's a Greek physician, he's a surgeon and a philosopher in the Roman Empire. He's arguably the most accomplished of all medical researchers of antiquity. He influenced the development of many, many scientific disciplines, including anatomy, physiology, pathology, pharmacology, neurology, philosophy, logic. I mean, his whole concept of pneuma, there might be something to that. And the pineal gland, it's got its uncertainties. I mean, there's all kinds of um, YouTube videos dedicated to unlocking the pineal gland and decalcifying it. And that's got some interesting interesting effects. I mean, it, it's nice. It's, it's for meditation. I've enjoyed it. Not too much has happened. Listen to a few, a few of the videos. But uh, all the theories circulating with regards to the pineal gland becoming calcified due to an overabundance of fluoride and commercial packaged food and hygiene products. That will be largely ignored in the rest of this episode. What about consciousness? Many ideas relating to the subjective nature of time and reality always find traction in the religious institutions, the scientific thought, and medical research. Take, for example, it's the year 2018 because that's what we decide it is. Dogmatism is practiced by many who are deeply published in the scientific community, and forensics can't exist without timelines and objective anecdotal evidence and testimony. With all these outside experiences that nobody can quite understand, all these supernatural experiences, anecdotal evidence is always dubious at best and becomes a lousy cliche at this point. With any form of transcendental experience, the remembrance almost always slips away like a dream, the way memories do, but even more dreamlike than that. Conundrum I face is predicated by the idea that very possibly no one has re really any idea what's going on at any time when faced with some crazy, earth-shattering experience. And this brings us to the next point about... My theory is kind of that when the eyes absorb information... They are the primary collector of information, and that's the information that our brain will process. The retinas may actually beam perception into the pineal gland, thereby producing the electrical signal required for conscious to manifest. Thereby reproducing the electrical signal required for consciousness to manifest. Total speculation, I realize, however, if our brains truly do function as a receiver for transmitted consciousness, whatever that transmission may originate is irrelevant for now. Let's speculate that our brains are simple receivers of consciousness from a transmitting source, much like a Tesla power plant lighting homes across the nation wirelessly. We can absorb consciousness but never actually create it. We're destined, faded, like an M-theory level of just you repeat the same life again and again and again and again. Or you can take the tack of our brains being transmitters of consciousness. Or we can practice vociferous levels of secular humanism, shamanism, satanism, witchcraft, sorcery, alchemy, and all the lovely ancient arts of self-empowerment through self-realization that all control systems are based entirely on allowances. A better of two evils argument of take the world and make it mine, or take the leader, and that may or may not give me a piece of the pie. Either way you slice it, we all have to live in the same objective world. Whether or not our consciousness is transmitted or received, all must partake of the fruits of labor. Thus, reality can be formed, based on, and strongly rooted in the material world. 
It's no wonder that spiritual enlightenment or even thoughtful behavior is rare and even looked down upon for the objects we produce are testaments to our boundless in- intellect. Take wealth, for example. Wealth and cash and money and liquidated assets and bonds and all these various terminologies all based on a tool that is traded for survival. Time and wealth rarely enter the conversation as opponents to each other. Since trading in wealth as a commodity is heavily complex and, and greatly misunderstood by myself, I will focus on the idea of wealth as a tool. In my mind, tools are only as good as the application of said tool towards an even greater goal. The value of a hammer is only as great as the number of nails it's able to pound. When properly applied, any force can create products to validate our own sense of perception. We awaken each day in the same material body, and it is that body in which turn allows us to interact with objects formed by the acknowledgement of our senses. And is that obvious? I mean, sure. But the mechanism of awakening, birth, rebirth, death, all of these can be conflated into transcendent, magical, and mysterious occurrences. But if perception is linked to consciousness, and it is a biologically chemical measurable phenomenon, then it appears to be it appears to an uneducated bumbler such as myself to be related to the brain and a nervous system via something like the pineal gland. Descartes, as we cover briefly, made good point with the gland's lack of symmetry. The brain's got matching parts on either side, left lobe, right lobe. I mean, you name it, there's a matching part. And the pineal gland's like cheese that stands alone right in the middle there, right between the two lobes, you know. Um, But then it asks the question, well, how does the third eye project the observable world into the brain? My idea is that the observable world is dependent upon observers. And the experiment conducted, which outlines the subjectivity of time and uh, led to the foundations of the theory of relativity, each observer in the world must observe the same sort of mass hallucination if everybody has to have an objective world. The third eye functions as both receiver and transceiver, transmitter and remitter. It receives impressions from the observable universe, transmits those said impressions into the mind and the universe, transceives the machinations of conscious entities, and remits those said dynamics back to the observers. When, a, when somebody wakes up, he gets his information from all his five senses. All the five senses. I mean, depending on, you know, what you smell, what you, whatever. Whatever, when you wake up right first, you know. The world he sees is sent to his brain in a nanosecond. That's where his consciousness finds its limit. Much like the unconscious functions of the body, breathing, digestion, all that kind of thing, the man cannot see or have the need to see his transception. He doesn't have to dwell within his remissions. Consider this. Prey has no ego, predators have no mercy. And stuff which is stalked has no need to self-aggrandize, and that which stalks never needs to feel sympathy. And so certain mammals whose brains contain a pineal gland may be far suited towards maximum evolution. The various lower levels of brain function, such as reptilian and so on, may not, they have no biological need to innovate their world, not in the sense that mammals have to adapt. Reptile brains are some of the most ancient species. They're housed in some of the most ancient species, true living dinosaurs, 
whose function in the ecosystem never develops beyond the raw necessity of pure survival. So if the pineal gland can create all sorts of levels of consciousness within our waking brain, and if it is able to create hallucinations within our brain en masse, what would that be to say about aliens or ghosts or anything like that? Well, ghosts are said to be the manifestation of energy that in its inability to be destroyed may linger on past the point of death. We run the full gamut. Whether ghosts or strangers or relatives or ghosts of gods themselves, all anecdotal evidence is unable to be verified using conventional scientific methods. Aliens, for the most part, they're said to be otherworldly, extra-dimensional, and whatnot, according to various sources. There's all kinds of like elementals, like Spring-Heeled Jack, Bigfoot, Yeti, or other myths surrounding like a creepypasta or historical aberration. They're all said to be elusive, nondescript, outright inexplicable. A person believes in the corporeal existence of an impossible entity, their faith in that authority makes the entity real. If only in the sense that Spongebob is a noun kind of a thing. Even poltergeist activity, it can be chalked up to a psychic manifestation. Say as in the Enfield poltergeist where the theory was put forth, the phenomena was brought on by the haunted getting the period like Menzies itself being the evocation of the entity rather than like an unknown shadow self or a topa or something like that may be created in the project. <laughs> rather, an unknown shadow self, which is an interesting concept about if our shadows have their own Menzies. Anyway, so if a topa form may be created in which the projected thought form acts out various stressors or against certain people with whom the afflicted has had beef with. This is giving the benefit of the doubt to the most well-documented poltergeist activity in which all possibilities toward fraud are eliminated. Now, if, if something like a woman getting her period for the first time is a catalyst for like a hidden perception shift, that's only because of all the crazy hormonal releases that she's having at the time, Kind of like possibly, say, the activation of that um, element of the pineal gland which controls the female hormones. I don't know. But uh, that perception shift, a lot of cultures have researched that perception shift. One culture, and this may or may not be complete fiction, it, it is more or less put forth as nonfiction, but it's from the Yaqui Indian uh, Duan, Don Juan Matis. When. Uh, Carlos Castaneda went and met quite a few, I guess you would say, sorcerers or uh, medicine men down in Mexico. Carlos Castaneda, his superb works, he calls it the hidden perception shift. He calls it a moving of the assemblage point. If we take a certain level of credibility to his works and we apply it to all sorts of alternative medicines like kundalini yoga, Toltec sorcery, powerful psychedelic drugs, all that sort of a shit, that assemblage point or that perception shift, whatever you want to call it, it may not actually move anywhere because it's everywhere or nowhere time. It may help to believe that, say, in like the Castaneda works, 
And the perception shift, it'll occur in the solar plexus. In the Egyptians, they would say that it would happen in the cart, in the heart or in Descartes, where the pineal gland is the seat of the soul, as he says. And in my opinion, it's the lazy boy for the cold plasma core. It may help to say that our perception has an antenna, but yet it's far, way more like, likely to be way more complicated than perception just being an antenna. Because feedback. You put a guitar too close to the source, or speaker with a poor microphone, everybody hates feedback. And feedback loops. Positive feedback, it's puling. Negative feedback, oh, that's insulting. Whatever, you know. Perception and reality can eliminate disillusion. If you keep the feedback low, it's peace and quiet. Not just everything's peaceful, there's a lot of noise. You gotta have peace and quiet kind of a thing. So, whether or not these phenomenon are entirely mass hallucinations or not is actually irrelevant. What matters is how similar the attributes of paranormal occurrences throughout history are. There's a pretty weird connection between all the experiences and how people report that whole, as you've heard about, like high strangeness or just crazy weird shit. It sounds all psychedelic and sure, and it might actually just be a, a manifestation of a little understood event. All of these events can be epiphany in a weird way. And epiphany is defined as a sudden intuit in this sense at any rate. It's defined as a sudden intuitive perception of or insight into the reality or essential meaning of something, usually initiated by some simple, homely, or commonplace occurrence or experience. That experience, I postulate, is influenced by the relation of the pineal gland and its creation of essential chemicals. Now, epiphany strikes me at least in the few times where I've weakly attempted to have an epiphany, perhaps, it's being kind of near death in an odd way. It's, kind of, it's the same way deja vu will remind you of a dream you may or may not have had. Epiphanies can bring you to the foreground of what is kind of obvious but kind of hidden. You know, the way that uh, Bertrand Russell said that philosophy is the science of the unknown and uh, science is the science of the known which is ridiculously, horribly paraphrased. But when deja vu reminds you of a dream, it's a strange thing. It's definitely really strange. I've had that a few times. And death is an obvious result of life. The machinations of death are hidden to us. So I put forth that random epiphanies, they can be a little death. Even things which aren't necessarily epiphanies, at a certain point, if it gives you enough insight to change or even look at things a little differently, it's like a ridiculous, like, come-to-Jesus moment. If epiphanies in a pineal gland induced hallucinations, that doesn't downplay their importance in a physical sense. I'm going to shoot off for a sec. There was a uh, secret order in Europe called the Oculists. And there was a manuscript that they couldn't they couldn't figure out what it was for a long time, and then they finally uh, decoded it. It was written in German, and then they had this weird code. And in their research, a lot of it, the sketches and anatomical information that they compiled, it helped eye surgery, stuff like cataracts, eye disorders, and everything. It can be operated on, you know, just quite simply. 
Well, the mammalian eye will reverse an image presented to the retina in order to portray an image that will make sense in the mammalian brain. And thus, when anything is perceived by our brain has to be filtered by a lens, it will necessarily flip that image right side up. In the same way our eyes assist our brain in accurately perceiving the outside world, the pineal gland assists with the further magnification of reality. It's like the right hand always knowing what the left hand is doing, so it doesn't have to spend conscious thought or energy in what the left kidney is doing, like right now. You know. Can the pineal gland be the key towards true enlightenment? I don't know. As they always say, more research is needed. There's a lot of synchronicities, and I will get into those as these series carry on. The, the sixth chakra, the third eye, the pine cone at the end of a druidic wand, the statues of the Vatican, they're all pine cone shaped. The, eyes of, the shape of the eyes of Horus, it's nearly the anatomical cross-section of the pineal. Everything previously covered in that weird Gaia article. The Sumerians even revered the simplest, let biologically most beneficial in terms of erosion, forest health, and overall, it's the gorest, uh, evergreen addition to the quaking aspen, and many groves which pepper the countries of our planet. You'd be interested to note that the current understanding and the author of the flora in ancient Mesopotamia located in between the Tigris and Euphrates River in a country currently called Iraq, that not a single tree of all the trees that may have flourished in that region, probably not a single tree was a pine cone. That's all I got time for today. That is the first episode of Preternaturally Inclined. The next episode will be about the areas of the pinnacle, the arenas of the pineal gland research that may be potentially viable in the future. Topics such as psychic powers, brain implants to measure activity, the overall mysterious nature behind the eyes, and the third eye. Thanks for listening. If you like this, let me know. I'm at sethatosic at gmail.com and hypnosneeks at yahoo.com. You can find me on Facebook at Van Swearingen and the social media I'm not on it. It makes me feel unsocial. I'll be on it. Since they're such ridiculous, I'll spell them out on the next one. Love you all. Be talking to you soon.